This is Gus Ullenbeek and you're listening to the Fulham Focus podcast. For those of us of a certain age, Mohamed Al-Fayed's purchase of Fulham was a godsend. And to be fair, recently, those of us of a certain age have been looking back with some rather rose-tinted glasses. And with Mo's sad passing in August, we did look back at his time at the club. And interestingly, not related, a book came out around just after that, which looked back at Mohamed Al-Fayed's time at Fulham. And I'm delighted to say that on your Fulham Focus podcast today, we're joined by Tony Banks, who is the former football reporter for the Daily Express and Daily Mirror, and like all of us, a long-time Fulham sufferer. So without further ado, except for the bit that we're going to pause to let them put the intro in, we're going to welcome Tony. Fulham. How are you doing, Tony? Thanks for coming to the, the pod with us. Well, I'm great. I'm great. How are you all? We're doing good. It's that lovely international break time when we just yeah. have to worry about injuries. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. You put your worries aside for a few days, can't you? <laughs> yes. And then Wolves on Monday. That'll be <laughs> that'll be fun. But let's let's look back before we look forward. We were talking before we hit record about how we all got into this. What what's your journey with Fulham? that brought you to keeping an eye on the club as you were reporting on the club throughout this time. What's, what's your excuse for all this? Well, I mean, I've covered Fulham for a long time professionally, but obviously I was a, um, I suppose you call a, a fan. Although <laughs> here's a confession. I started out in life as a Spurs fan as a kid, but Ooh. I got taken to, I know it's, yeah, it's bad parenting. That's the only excuse I've got. <laughs> but um, a friend of mine took me along when I was about sort of 14 or 15, and that was kind of it, you know. Um, I didn't have a dad who liked football, and I didn't have an elder brother, so that's my excuse, really. And uh, anyway, I started going ages ago, uh, probably early 70s, and that was it kind of thing. But um, when you're a professional football reporter, you don't get to see much of the clubs that you like. You know, and I was sort of, I've been in and out over the last sort of 30 odd years. And then last, not last summer, the summer before I decided to um, take redundancy and I was intending to write a book. And I looked at that era, particularly the one, the one, the Mohammed Al-Fayed era, and I thought nobody's really covered that. Nobody's looked at that specific era of Fulham. In, in any detail. There's been a few books, like Keegan wrote a book, I think. Um, Mickey Adams wrote a book, didn't he? And, and a few others have written books, but nobody's looked at the whole section. And I thought, well, why don't I do that? Because I was there for most of it. Because it's wonderful to see a good young crowd at the Games today, because that's why I remember the influx. I, I was one of the newbies that came post post Al fired same sort of thing taken to the cottage and you just fall in love with the place and yeah <laughs> yeah you, you do <laughs> you do but i'll tell you one key factor with this book was that i knew a lot of the people in the book mm. so there were people like mickey adams kit simon simon morgan um neil rodford um michael cole and uh, chris coleman as well who i knew from working around the club I thought, I thought when I had the idea for the book, if I can get 
at least four or five of them to say, yeah, it's a good idea, let's do it. I'm off and running, really, aren't I? Because I've got I've got them agreeing to do it and to talk about it. A few more phone calls and a few more people. And it was kind of slotting into place. And bearing in mind I was around for a lot of it, I, I could remember a lot of it as well. So it kind of fell into place. And, I, you know, oh, Kevin Keegan's also written a book, obviously. I forgot that. But none of them have covered that specific period in itself. And I thought it was a good idea. And I hope people, I hope people also think that. <laughs> well, you kindly sent, sent a copy over to me and I had a read of it. And it, beyond my own nostalgia for it there is a lot in there especially from the mm-hmm. the higher ups that you talk to that mm-hmm. they really did open up and mm-hmm. sort of show some of that sort of inner workings of it in you know we on this pod we complain about ownership and transfers and all of that sort of thing it, but it, it's always good to look in sort of behind the curtain a bit and i i suppose from your conversations with them when they people started opening up to you when did you realize that, you know, you had the hook, you knew you were in, that people were going to be so happy to to talk about this time at Fulham? Well, I think when Mickey, you know, when Mickey was enthusiastic about it and Simon Morgan in particular, I knew I had the start of the book ready. And Michael Cole, who was obviously very close, you know, who was Alphide's spokesman throughout that era, mm-hmm or for most of that era, once he came on board and said, yeah, let's do it. And and I knew that they would all talk to me honestly and they would all, you know, they would all be good conversationalists because they all are. Um, it kind of felt, you know, it, it sort of started to work. I mean, the book, the bit where you talk to people is the easy bit. I really enjoyed that, you know, going and talking to Tom Greatrix, for example, you know, the foot, the... Um, Fulham Supporters Trust board member now, but he was the leader of the Back to Cottage move, Back to the Cottage movement in two, in the two thousands, and he was really enthusiastic about it. So there were key little moments, and and I and people were so happy to talk about it that it, it made it very easy getting it down on paper. That was the hard bit. <laughs> Tom, friend of the pod, of course, he's he's, yeah. he's he's always welcome to come back as well. Yeah, it's go going through the book. I think the you know the the famous story of you know Fulham being in the doldrums and Alphide com- coming along and, and and whisking it away the thing that comes clearly through the book and from the people that you interviewed was he was a man who didn't slow down did he and he didn't accept things not working to his timetable even if that timetable was completely irrational yeah absolutely but, I mean, yeah but it, it was it was sorry i was just going to say but there seemed to be this for the most most of your interviewees, an enthusiasm to to try to meet those those targets, and as ridiculous as some of them were, yeah, to to an extent. Um, although you know, when he marched in on that summer's afternoon in two, 1987, just after the club had won promotion under Mickey Adams from Division Three, and said, "Oh, we're going to be in the Premier League in five years." Um, you know, people like Mickey Adams and that were go- was sort of fairly gobsmacked by that because that, as a young manager, had only been in the job, what, about 16 or 17 months. It was a bit of a tall order with the sort of squad he had that, at that point. And equally so, further along the line, you know, um, you will have read in the book that when Paul Bracewell was the manager a few years on, 
and he stepped into Kevin Keegan's shoes, which is never easy. And at that point, they just put one from promotion from Division One to what is now the Championship. And uh, Bracewell says at the press conference announced, "Yes, we want to stabilise and make sure you know we don't get relegated and um, uh, you know consolidate, and then maybe make a promotion challenge in a couple of years' time." And Alfie had interrupted him and said, "No, no, no, we're going to go straight up." So, I, 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 rem, I, rem, I remember that, and, yeah, and, and uh, you sort uh, of felt he was a bit of a dead man walking from that yeah, exactly, moment on. Exactly, and from that moment on, Bracewell, I think, felt I'm in a spot of bothering. You know? <laughs> so, but yes, you're right. By and large, um, most of the people there, it's a giddy ride, isn't it? And everybody gets on board, and it's fantastic, and it's exciting, and there's two promotions, and there's some great football. But along the way, there were casualties, you know, all, obviously, and there are in football. And I, I guess taking taking this journey down memory lane for it, your, your intersections with the club at the time, um, you, 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 you sort of keep yourself out, out of the book. But what were your memories along that route as well, that when your, your day job took you, took you to press conferences and things? What did that sort of bring back as you were looking back at those at those days? Well, um, it's funny because <laughs> I didn't have a huge. I dipped in and out as you do as a reporter. I was a London football reporter, so I didn't just cover Fulham. In fact, I covered Chelsea for a long period in that in that period under Mourinho. You know, well, this has been great chatting to you, Tony. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know I didn't want to, but this is my job, right? So I was covering, I was covering the Mourinho era, you know, and all that sort of thing, and all the shenanigans there, and 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 in fact, before that, I covered Arsenal. So I did the Invincibles era, you know, two thousand three, four. So I was dipping in and out, um, but I remember the bits I remember were were um, when Tagana arrived. Oh no, that's not true. I remember because I, I knew Mickey. When Mickey lost his job um, and got ejected and in came Ray Wilkins and Kevin King, and I was around for quite a lot of that. I remember the FA Cup type, Margate. I remember Wilkins, some of the football under Wilkins. I remember some of the football under Keegan. Great, exciting team he put together there, you know, with Jeff Horsfield and players like that. Um, Peter Beardsley was in the side, you know. That, that was a heck of a good side. I remember them knocking Southampton at the FA Cup. Uh, and Aston Villa out the FA Cup. Brilliant. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, I do remember, I remember, and Chris Coleman I knew when he was a player. So when he took over as manager, that was that was great, you know. And he did a terrific job, Chris. The money tap was turned off a little bit for him, so he had to go and recruit quite cheaply. And then, of course, after him, you've got Laurie Sanchez briefly, but then you've got Roy. And Roy... Well, I still speak to Roy this day. He was very, very helpful with this book. And what a tremendous man Roy is. And and I remember that era very, very well. Some of those games, you know, are etched in the memory of every Fulham fan and they will never leave the memory of every Fulham fan, will they? It, it was magical. And I know that word's kind of overused in football, but those, those few years were just... Mm. I, 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 can, I can remember the the hamburg game yeah i blagged a ticket in the 
in the old riverside and I sat down next to an old couple mm. and they were chatting about being at Wembley at 75 in 75 and whether or not should we win could could they make it at, at their age to Hamburg and it, the the chap's wife turned to him and just told him to shut up of course we're going Bill whatever his <laughs> name was so, yeah. and um when that second goal went in she jumped up and kissed me and yeah, yeah. And that, that I don't really remember much of the game because I was too stressed yeah <laughs> but that that well. moment sticks in but yeah those throughout that 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 season where we just stayed up as well it's yeah. everything that he touched and was just magical it annoys me he's at palace now because my family are all palace fans and they yeah. think the world of him but yeah. we had him first well i mean in as we as you will have read the early period of roy's was not a great period i mean we very nearly went down and it was it was only that the, practically the last three games of that season when everything roy was trying to drill into them suddenly clicked into gear um you know, and then there was that famous away win at Portsmouth, and uh, uh, I wasn't there. I was <laughs> as inevitably covering some terrible Chelsea game at the time. But I remember being glued to the radio, myself and Danny Fulbrook. I don't know if you know, if you remember Danny. Do you remember Danny? I, I, mem- I remember him. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Well, he was a day, the Daily Star's chief football writer, an absolutely fanatical Fulham fan. And we were sitting in the press box at Stamford Bridge. I can't remember who they were playing, and I don't frankly care. And uh, but when Danny Murphy's goal went in, we were both listening to the radio. We were up, we got professional in the press box. You know, it was it was a magical moment. But of course, that European run. I remember taking my son to the Shakhtar home game, mm. and we were sat in the um, Steve Bridge Road stand, kind of almost level with. Zamora when he hit that goal it was fantastic you know it was fantastic yeah I mean but I'll tell you another good uh, period and you I, you I think you would have been around for that was that season when Tagana took the club out, the, out of the championship and some of the football that was played in that season was amazing with Louis Sahara up front you know it, it, it I just remember as well the, the first part of that season as well with Fabrice Fernandez, yeah, sort of in in in, in the pivot as well, a, a player that should have gone on to really great yeah. things, but let himself yeah. get get in his own way. But that yeah. season was just, yeah, yeah. You know, how how it, it, very similar to to our, our recent promotion as well. Wondering how many we were going to score each game, yeah, and um, only I think a lot nicer football. But then I'm. I'm old and I, I look back with Rose. Oh, no, no. I mean, I, I've, I'm older. And <laughs> I can honestly say that the football in that season was some of the best. And I, as is, as I keep saying, I only dipped in and out. Mm. And a lot of, you know, those games at Loftus Road, I think they were at Loftus Road, weren't they? Got, st- they were. St- still at the, co- still at the cottage yeah. then. Yeah, it was co- two years before we went, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and some of the football was astounding. It really was. And Saha, when we signed Saha, and uh, what a what a player he was when he first arrived in English football. Coleman talks about it in his book. In the book, I interviewed. I said, "What was he like to train against?" He said, "Well, it was almost impossible to stop. You know, this kid, he'd leap for what you thought he was going to head the ball, and he'd catch it on his chest, turn and shoot." And Coleman said, "You do that again against me, I'm going to break you in two. <laughs> <laughs> you would embarrass them in training, you know." It it was, you know, just that transformational thing. That every everything about 
what they were doing changed was uh, you, you talk about, I, I remember I bumped into Chris Coleman in the Kingswood's Ar- Kingswood arms one afternoon when I was in there with my dad yeah. and bought him a beer and he joined us and we chatted. The, the thing I remember him saying is the diet regime as well. Oh, yeah. They were enforced to do and mm-hmm. yes, sitting there with a footballer having a pint with you. He's like, yeah, we weren't able to do this anymore, yeah. which I did smile and said, well, what were you doing when you, when you crashed your car? And he went, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Off the record that one, I think, you know, <laughs> he said to me, there was a pheasant. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and if any, if, Cookie, if you're listening, we totally believe you. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, he said, it was and you're f- welcome on any time. It was a ro- it was an icy road. It was the middle of winter. Uh, he was going too fast, and he swerved to avoid a pheasant, and mm-hmm. boom, that was it. And uh, you know, heck, let's not forget what a good player he was, and what you know, what Goodness, uh, yeah. what a terrible thing that was to happen. However, it happened, and whatever happened, I mean that. Rob Fulham of a very, very good player at that point, you know. He, I think as well that we, you know, we talk about Saha, we we talk about yeah, Bo Morte coming in as well. The, the mm. those players, but that back line was was so solid, and it was Cookie just sort of holding that with 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 Taylor behind as well. Yeah, for those who didn't have the pleasure of watching him, he was he wasn't. Like an old school defender, he was classy. Oh, I just class. loved watching him play for the yeah the that we were able to to do. He's that. very good with the ball at his feet. Mm. He was a classy player, but he was hard as well. Oh, goodness, yeah, he was very hard. Big physical lad, but he could play. You know, I mean, let's face it: when Keegan signed him, he shouldn't have been playing at that level. Goodness, he dropped yeah. down two levels. You know, he was a Premier League footballer. What the heck was he doing at Craven Cottage at that period of his career? You know, shouldn't have been there. Far too good for that division, as were several others. But because Keegan was manager, down they came. Paul Bracewell being another example, you know? Yep. And that sort of whole connection, bringing in Beardsley, Morgan, you know, re-energising them. I I think for, for looking back at those years as well, there's... For managers, there's probably only a couple where you can say that Alfie had pulled the trigger in the wrong way, can't you? Because he he did pretty good. Yeah, you yeah. think maybe Sanchez, but Sanchez, Sanchez kept us up. So okay, thanks for that, mate. Mm. Um, Paul was probably the wrong the wrong chap. It was probably a little bit early for him um, to get to get that job. But the rest of them, I think, well, we won't talk about Mark. Um, Marquis either, but yeah, for for the most part, it was yeah, it was it was pretty good. Even 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 when he he got people in who could yeah. deal with what he needed them to do. I think is I think mostly um, he was pretty good with his managers. You know, let's not forget that Keegan walked away. Yeah, we had no choice in that. G- gifted um, to England, I think was gifted was the line, to England. Wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Mickey Adams. Um, I was talking to him the other day, and as I say in the book, you know, at the time he was sore about it. He was a young manager. He'd just got mm. the club. He was vital, Mickey. What Mickey did in turning around uh, a, a team full of, well, putting together, rather, a team full of free transfers and rejects from other clubs, you know, a ragtag and bobtail outfit, as they call them, and getting them promoted, 
And then, you know, in the September, getting booted out because there's a big owner there. He was very unlucky, Mickey, you know. And But the problem was you get a big owner who doesn't know much. And this is another thing. Fayad never really knew much about football. But he knew a big name when he saw one. And he knew glamour and excitement. Kevin Keegan comes along, boom. Ray Wilkin comes along, boom. Out goes Mickey. Wilkins was one who was fairly harshly treated. That didn't really work. They were going to miss out in the playoffs. Um, Sanchez, yeah, that wasn't working when he went, was it? Let's be brutally honest. Um, but all the others, he gave Coleman a lot of time. He gave Roy a lot of money. Um, he fell out with Tigana eventually, but that was, uh, oh, that was a messy, messy period. But by and large, he left his managers alone, gave them enough money and gave them time. Certainly more than some, some other owners have done. Let, let's talk about that Tigana time a little, a little bit more, especially, especially yeah. the end, because mm. even that second season in the Premier, in the Premier League, they weren't playing badly. They were just no. in that sort of second season rut. Yeah. There was, there was, there was the Marley business where, you know, we'd signed a winger and we were playing him up front. Yeah. And I, I, I had a t-shirt that said, I saw Steve Marley score. Cause I did. It was great. Uh, one, of, one of the, one of the few to, to do that. But what struck me in the book, which is how long all of that legal case rumbled on for after the sacking, what well, the terminate, whatever it was, they, the terminology they use. Yeah. Looking back at that, when you were going through it, what sort of jumped out at you for that? Because I was reading it, and you start saying some dates, and I've, I've literally just scrolled down on your book, and I've lost lost the date. It went on for was about two years after yeah. after yeah. after he left the club that they were yeah. still at the high court going back and forth. Yeah, lawyers made yeah. a lot of money out of it. Lawyers made a lot of money. Well, there was an employment tribunal first. Mm. That was the first thing, and he won that, and then he sued for the money he thought he was owed and then Fulham countersued and then when Fulham lost, Fulham appealed and that's that. So the whole thing dragged on for an awful long time and um, yeah, I have to say that part of the book, because don't forget that that part of the book came, came at the same period where there was the ground row yep. and, you know, the back to the cottage movement and all, and that was a, that, that took some unravelling, I have to say. I, I think that I talked to Andy Muddyman about this, and um, basically what happened was Fulham made a bad signing. Mm. That's what happened. Fulham made a bad signing, and they spent 11 million quid on it, which for them at the time, even with Fayed in charge, was a lot of money. Still is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. They made a bad... They signed the wrong bloke. Simple as that. And And, you know... Fayed thought that Tigana ripped him off. He didn't. Simple fact is they spent the wrong money, a lot of money, on the wrong bloke. It didn't work. And he lashed out, which he was prone to do, at the first guy in sight, who was the manager, and accused, you know, as you know, Mm. accused Tigana of making a profit out of that deal and diddling him and stuff like that. Um, and Tagana didn't do any of that and proved he didn't do any of that. Simple fact is they signed the wrong bloke, spent a lot of money on the wrong bloke. They're not the first club to do that, and they're not the first time Fulham have ever done that, by the way, and it probably won't be the last. It's happened once or twice, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's essentially what happened, and, and he got 
he got he got for a while he got very angry about that. And by the way, Chris Coleman suffered, you know, because of that, because the money tap was turned off for Chris and he had to scramble about. There were no more eleven million pound signings, you know. He had to he had to go to America to sign cheap players like Carlos Bocanegra and Brian McBride. Good players, but you know, they were none of them eight, nine, ten million pound players. Um so the repercussions lasted a long time. Mm. Yeah, we, we we talked when we had um Tom on for the the pod just after Mo died, we talked at length about the back to the cottage elements of it as well. But the that period with the reporting that you and others were doing as well. It was a shady time mm. to be trying to, sorry, it was a shady deal that was being concocted for what was going on with, uh, was it uh, Fulham Riverside Developments? I think the company was that had two yeah. people listed on it and yeah. things. But you, you were, you were looking in it, in at it at the time mm. from a professional side of it. Mm. How many layers to that onion were there? Because you 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 look back at it and reading your book, it just seems like it was classic businessman obfuscation. Yeah, and again, let's go back to one of the basic points here: is that Fayed was a businessman, hmm. pure and simple businessman. Now he had a great love for the club, and that love grew from the moment he took it over. But the bottom line is he was a businessman and also a businessman who didn't know very much about football. That's another key factor. Well, he, played so that, his cap, he played his captain famously, didn't he? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you've got, he didn't have the affection and the, the, the kind of feeling that it was home that every Fulham ha- fan has about the cottage. Yet some of it, he realised, he got it, but he didn't, it wasn't like built into his DNA like it is for a lot of us, you know? And and I, and I talked as well to some of the other people on the board, Andy Muddyman, uh, and they were instrumental in, in one of the, in, you know, in the White City, potential mm-hmm. Gold Crest dairy, um, um, Shepherd's Bush possible development at what is now, um, is, what's it called? The uh, shopping West, West, Westfield. Westfield, that's mm-hmm. it. That where, that where that now is. Now, there was a, they put in a couple of bids for that site. Both turned down. The BBC didn't really want them there. Uh, other people didn't really want them there. And, but Muddyman said to me that if they needed to take the club to another level, i.e. European competition, on a regular basis... Is exactly the sort of thing they needed to do because they'd seen that the Craven Cottage development had stalled on the grounds of cost and various other things like egress. And, you know, Fulham's a fairly unique ground, as we know, because one side of it's on the river. There's only a certain amount you can do with it. They thought if we build a brand new stadium, if we can get it in the borough or as near to the borough as possible, uh, and the phrase used with to me by Muddyman was on the Tottenham style, i.e. with loads of other stuff in it, probably not as big. Um, that was the future of the club. And he said, he said to me in the course of writing the book, he didn't really regret that. You know, he said that was something which was would have secured the future of the club. And at that point... Some of them were not sure that staying at the cottage would have done that. As it turned out, they were wrong. 
But uh, Muddyman in particular said to me, you know, at the time we thought we were doing the right thing. And he thought Fayed thought that as well. And it was interesting reading through that, that they were very forward thinking. You know, you, you, yeah. you, you mentioned the, the Tottenham model in the book as well. The yeah. development would would have been an incredibly modern stadium, especially for the, the early noughties. Yeah. Um, not that it would have been a popular move, but no, no. it's, you know, I, I get into a, an argument regularly about the the model of, the Craven Cottage, the, you know, the the donut thing. Which yeah, yeah. I, th- I think for 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 stadiums at the time, it didn't look terrible. Old Sammy James at Fulham, and I, yeah, yeah, disagree vehemently on that one. But it's interesting again the businessman aspect of it. They were looking at multiple revenue streams. They were looking at how, yeah, how to do it differently. Even exactly. even then, and that <clears throat> to me was very eye opening as well. That it it wasn't just about yeah redeveloping the cottage. No, there were other things. I mean, there were there was the mooted sharing of Stamford Bridge with Chelsea at one point. That didn't get very far. And Muddyman said to me, there was absolutely no way that we're going to be able to sell that to Fulham fans. <laughs> but, but another aspect of it, which somebody else mentioned to me, was the prospect of QPR sharing a White City Stadium with Fulham mm. and, and then a casino being built in there and stuff like that. Now, obviously... For Fulham fans of a certain age, it's almost heretical, isn't it? Suggesting something like that. But if you look at it from a purely business point of view, you want to make Fulham into a European challenging club. Probably the... Well, it's a way of doing it and making it possibly more likely to happen. As it happened, we all know it didn't need to happen. But at the time... People like Muddyman, Bill and Andy, and various others on the Fulham board, and Fayed, thought that was the only way to do it. And and they they felt they had to do it in a secretive fashion. You know, that was the underhand bit of it, you know. Yeah, I, I, I think in hindsight, and taking taking my, my Fulham heart out for a moment, from, from a purely business way to do it, there was probably a better PR angle that they could have played to, oh, yeah. to get to get people on side, oh, and yeah. you, you you never knew. You know, it, it didn't happen. We went back and then had some, quite frankly, amazing evenings. We still do have amazing yeah. evenings, there, dear listener. Don't 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 think it's the glory days of ours. Um, but that return, yeah. I think re-energize everything we, we've had we've had Collins John on talking about Cookie taking them there to train before the first game of the season so that they could get used to being back at the yeah. cottage and things do, do you think that returning even after all of the shenanigans that helped the bond between Alphide and the club going forward especially with what happened sort of four or five years later with the European run um yeah well it it it, it... It, I, I don't know. Uh, um, it, it it took a while, I think, mm-hmm. because there was a certain amount of distrust, and uh, I think it took a little while for it to heal. But fortunately, you know, the club were doing quite well. Still in the Premier League, Coleman Allen was Coleman there for three years as manager, um, and it was only right towards the end it started to slip a little bit. So it, it did take a while for that to heal. It, it wasn't immediate, 
by any means, if you remember. A lot of people still really distrusted what was going on at boardroom level. And let's face it, historically, they've got good reason to worry about what goes on at boardroom level at Fulham. And I'm talking pre-Fired here, you know. Um, Yeah. So I think that there's... it, It took a while for it to heal. But I think it did heal eventually. And I think once he admitted... Because um, remember, even when they went back, he said, we're still looking for somewhere else, for a while anyway. He said, this is a temporary measure. We're still looking for somewhere else. So, yeah, it, it caused a bit of a shadow over the regime for a, quite a while. But fortunately for Fayed, events on the pitch, I think, considerably helped him, you know? Yes. Because just... The, the temporary thing is isn't the hammy end and the, the putney end still considered temporary structures well yeah well. They've, they've been there for a... <laughs> so so is, so is the bolting of seats in the enclosure you know that that's all that's all supposedly temporary and those boxes in the corner you know i mean they were supposed to they were only supposed to be there for a while they're still there aren't they you know in, in, you know so let's, let's just hope no one listening to this then starts having a look at the planning and seeing the well, dates quite, on those right quite you know but yeah i mean it was all but in the end as i say i think the fact that let take take the sanchez interlude out of it mm-hmm. um roy comes along i mean there were a couple of scrapes obviously sanchez saves us from relegation roy saves us from relegation and then after that you know roy's period was astonishing so events off the field helped smooth it over uh, on the field rather helped smooth it over but it took a while it did mm-hmm. take a while you and tom will tom will no doubt have told you that you know um he knows better than anyone by the way i must say that uh, what a great help tom was to me in writing this book because if i hadn't got to tom and he'd given me a sort of a timeline of everything that went on with um back to the cottage i would never have unraveled it there's just so many cogs. I remember when yeah. Tom on talking about it. He he kept saying, "The simple version is this." Yeah. And then when you when you dig into it with him, it, it was like I was saying, it was it was wheels upon wheels upon wheels of maneuvering. Yeah. Um, looking looking towards the end end of the time there with I'm, I'm thinking you know Martin Yole's time the the setting the club up for a sale. How long do you think it was in Alfred's mind to to offload the club? Because it was quite clear he 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 had an idea he wasn't going to give another manager a, a huge pot of money because Yol didn't really have a, a lot to deal with, did he? No. Um, so did do do you think for those last couple of seasons it was very much trying to steady the ship and and make it attractive to sell? Yeah, there was an element of that. You know, uh, I think Joel from the moment Joel stepped through the door, he knew that as well. Um, I think it probably started when a couple of years before, I think when, um, you know, he was 84 when he sold it. Um, uh, he'd already sold Harrods, obviously, um, several years before that. He was starting to withdraw. Um, he'd had a few disappointments in like with the women's team and all that sort of thing. And, uh, I think, he was starting to wind it down probably two years before he sold it. I wonder whether, and this is just my thinking off the top of my head, when Mark Hughes, to, you know, just walked out 
I wonder whether that might have been a thing when he thought, well, there's somebody else from football you can't rely on, you know, who just walks out and we're offered him a contract. I wonder if that was one of the final straws. I don't know that. I'm just speculating. But it struck me, and he was furious about Martin Hughes walking out, you know. Um, so so were we all. <laughs> so were we all, exactly. Although I have to say that I wasn't particularly enamoured with the Martin Hughes brand of football, I have to say. But then we only had one season of it, so it's difficult to sort of quantify it, isn't it? But And basically, he was playing football with Roy's team, wasn't he? You know, For sure. I, I, I was going to target the, the ladies' team as that bit to, yeah. to, to, to start wrapping up our chat because the new version of the women's team played Arsenal at the, the cottage on Sunday, which was great to see. Wasn't able yeah. to make it up myself. No. But the... The thing that, especially with the resurgence of the WSL and the Lionesses yeah. doing their thing, people don't remember just how phenomenal that Fulham ladies team was yeah. and and who was in it as well. The chapter on it in your book is, it was just, you turn a page, you know, I'd forgotten about that. Goodness, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. They, they were a machine. Yeah. They? Yeah. Uh, is it, uh, I, can't, no, I don't know how to pronounce his name, the Norwegian, uh, Ojen. Who came in to manage the team um, in that in that um, second season? When I think they won everything. Um, oh yeah, I mean, my God, the players that they had there, Marion Spacey and people like that, and um, and the football they played, and the crowds that they attracted as well. Don't forget, they were pulling in great crowds, and he was so far ahead of his time. And you know what we were talking about just now? I think. The anger that he felt with the FA that they didn't back him mm-hmm. and that other clubs didn't follow in and back him, I think was a big disillusionment to him. You know, he was without a shadow of a doubt ahead of his time. I think it was the 1999 um, Women's World Cup in the States. And he saw that, and Fayed being Fayed, just sort of kind of got infused about it and thought, well, let's do that here. Um, but of course, he was like, what, I suppose you'd say 10 years ahead of his time, possibly more, wasn't he? You know, um, in forming a professional women's football team. Um, you know, even Arsenal weren't at that level at that point. You know, Chelsea were nowhere near that level at that point. Doncaster Bells, remember them? Well, they were about the only other ones at the same sort of level. But, I mean, Fulham were winning everything because everybody they were miles better than anybody else. And spent, probably spent about, um, um, I think it was worked out, he spent about, you know, um, five or six million in total on all of that. Quite a considerable amount of money. Uh, and he just felt let down. He yeah. just felt let down and he felt, well, I've done something and started some year. I've given you, i.e. the FA, the chance to back me. And you haven't. You know, and so he wound it down. And um, interestingly enough, Marianne Spacey, now Spacey Kale, said to me she never met him once. Really? Yeah, in all the time she was, because um, don't forget she coached the team as well um, yeah. at one, for a while. Uh, she said she never met him. But, you know, a lot of the women's team said to me uh, at other points they did. So uh, he was quite vocal and quite around. That's the thing about Fayetta, actually. Um he was always around. You know, he was in the players' bar and he was at the games and he was introducing people. Um, 
of course he loved it. He loved the publicity, he loved the glamour, he loved the glory. But I think it was reassuring to a lot of the players and officials that he showed such an interest. He was always around. That was a very key factor. But yeah, with the women's team, he felt let down. No doubt about it. I've often wondered if the monster he created put the other other lot off thinking, goodness, we're going to have to do so much more to be able to compete. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, I've wondered if that probably didn't help that they were so successful out of, out of the box. Cause they, they just went on an incredible tear. Yeah. Or if that sort of put, put, put off some of the, yeah. other, the other teams. They may well have done, because if you look at it, it's probably taken them, well, Fulham been going well, uh, sorry, Chelsea been going well for a long time. It probably took them six or seven years to catch up, didn't it? You know, so, um, yeah, you may well be right on that. Um, and the money didn't start coming in for another four or five years, five, five or six years until Arsenal, actually Arsenal before Chelsea, and then Chelsea suddenly Abramovich comes along and boom, things take off. It costs money. Obviously, it costs money to put up the uh, you know professional women's team and give them the facilities and all that. Um, so yeah, I mean, you need an owner who's prepared to put it in, um, and a club which is prepared to commit to it as well. Yeah. And I think that was the fact. It wasn't just financial; it was taking the women's game seriously, which Fulham did, and he felt others didn't. And it's good to see the club taking it seriously again, bringing. The ladies team back yeah. in house and and yeah. getting them training um, yeah. at Motspur and things. So that's hopefully we can see them yeah. start heading yeah. heading in the right the right direction. And, and hopefully we're going to do something yeah specific. I'm glad I was really glad to see that you know because they they've struggled for quite a long time and um, it's great to see that it's starting to move again in the right direction. You know um, yeah I, I was pleased pleased with that do you know that I, I almost missed it because I had my head down right in the book and I, I kind of you know what it's like you've got a project and, and I looked up and I said oh hang on they've, you know this <laughs> you know it was uh, but I'm pleased I'm really pleased for I'm pleased for a lot of the people the volunteers really who kept it yeah. going in in the lean times in the last decade or so when essentially they were like and basically some part of Fulham Foundation, weren't they, really? You know, a little more than that, you know. So, And I'm not knocking the Fulham Foundation, but, you know, this is a volunteer setup, and that's exactly what that's what Fulham's women became. But now it's great that they're moving in the right direction again. So the book's been out for a while. You've been doing the rounds. You were at the AGM on Thursday for the Fulham Supporters Trust, which, unfortunately, I wasn't able to make. And... From my reading, the reaction's been pretty positive. So I guess you must be pleased with, with, with how it's turned out. Yeah, I am. I mean, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, from the, from the Fulham faithful and the Fulham, what would you call it, our Fulham bubble, you know, the yourselves and the Supporters Trust and, and all the other various groups, it's been positive, totally positive, to be honest with you. And I'm delighted about that because you were the people that I want to enjoy it and, and get something out of it. I'm also terrified that somebody's going to go, hang on, that wasn't a, a Tuesday night, that was a Wednesday night. You know, I know that someone <laughs> somewhere is at some point going to say, no, you got that wrong. It was then, it wasn't then. You know, nobody has yet, but I'm absolutely certain someone will. But, you know, it was also, I spoke to... Um, 
and the people in the book, I was worried, so kind of a little bit paranoid about how they would react to it. I rang Nicky Adams up this week and said, what did you think, Nicky? He said it was great, which I was really relieved about. You know, mind you, we'd only read his bit. Um, <laughs> well, you, you so would, I, wouldn't you? Especially the bits afterwards. Are yeah. Still said, a bitter taste in his mouth. Yes, yeah, and I've read the rest of it. I said, well, you know. Uh, but anyway, you know, I knew that I knew that would be his reaction. But, um, yeah, most people, I spoke to Kit Simons. I've spoken to um, Tom, obviously. Mm-hmm. And the reaction has been very positive, and I'm really pleased about that because the most important people uh, seem to like it, and um, and that's that's gratifying because it was I put a year of my life into it, you know. So, <laughs> and it was a you know that period we were talking about with the uh, Marley and the ground. That little section of the book was. <laughs> <laughs> From about January till May, that took to sort of... I still dream about it now, you know. <laughs> so what's what's your take on how we're doing this this year? Because it's, it's funny old funny old season so mm. far. Lots, mm. lots going on. Thankfully, mm. a few teams that look worse than us. But what's 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 your take on, on the season so far, Tony? I'm a little bit worried, as I think we all are. Um, I worry about the goals, and I'm not saying anything that's revelatory here, am I? But, you know, I think every single one of us are. Um, I, I don't know. I was pleased to see Jimenez score the other day, even though we lost. And I'm hoping that's the start of something. Yeah. Um, I'm not convinced by any of the centre-forwards, I have to be honest. Jimenez, I think, is a really good player. I think his touch is good. He is top class. He's a better player, touch-wise, intelligence-wise, than Vinicius by a mile. You know, for Vinicius, I have to say, you know, a six-inch pass is his, you know, sorry, a three-foot pass is his best touch, isn't it? Let's be honest. <laughs> him and he scored the winner against Chelsea, so we'll let him off. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but the problem is he's the bloke finding the net, you know. But... Jimenez is, in, in my mind, any different class, but he couldn't score. Now he has. So, I'm, uh, you know, I'm worried. And I think there aren't, um, I'm probably speaking for just about everybody on the, on the fan base, you know, I'm a little bit concerned uh, about the way it's going. I have a lot of faith in Silver. I'm not in the Silver's Got a Go camp by a million miles. Um, I, I Listen, my God, we've chopped and changed enough. Let's... You know, he's a good manager, a good coach as well. Um, he's made some of our players better players. No doubt about that. Um, and I think this next transfer window, if we can pick up someone who can nick his goals, then I think we'll be all right. I think there are three or four worst teams in Fulham. I think that the three promoted teams, to be brutally honest, I think one of them will recover. Um, I don't know which ones. My instinct would probably be Luton, but I'll probably be wrong about that. But yeah, by the way, the other thing is the um, is the ticket prices issue, um, uh, which I think the club have badly miscalculated. And um, it it wouldn't wouldn't put it past you know the the joy of having a season ticket is. It's yeah. just one, once a year you have to go cap in hand to the wife. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. 
I know. I think I think they've they've miscalculated there. They need to rethink on all of that stuff. You can't price your fans out the ground. I I, I think for who whomever or when you get round to writing the the sequel about the cons, um, I think this is going to be one of those piv- pivotal moments where yeah. it's yeah. You know, I think every ownership goes through them, and I think this this is this is theirs. Yeah, but to look, I think you're right. I I do I I rate Jimenez, and I hope this goes kicks him on. I I think we're not playing to his strengths, but then again, we're having to play as a team, so it's mm. it's it's a tri- tricky thing. But normal service will be resumed on Monday night as Wolves, which is one of those games you think we should really win this, but I I generally don't know. Well, I remember the game last year, wasn't it? A one-all draw, yeah. I seem to recall. And uh, Wolves were good. I remember Wolves, but Wolves were a good side. And I think O'Neill's got them playing quite well. Um, yeah. um, mm, not easy, not easy. But one of those teams you need to beat, really, to, to keep yourself... I mean, we are nicking some good results. I mean, winning at Everton and stuff like that, it was, you know, good. And I'm pleased that, you know, we put Sheffield United away at home and stuff like that. You need to be winning those. Um, I don't know. I mean, listen, I've been a Fulham follower for a long time, so a state of mild worry is nothing new, is it, really? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, well, that's standard, isn't it? That's yeah. The, the, base, the baseline for the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Tony, this has been an absolute delight. Give the book a plug. What's it called? It's called The Great Adventure, um, the story of Alphayad's roller coaster ride with Fulham FC. It's on Pitch Publications. Um, and it's available for £18.99. pence. Buy two in case you lose one. That's my advice. It's a perfect Christmas gift for those who do that sort of thing. <laughs> Give it, give it to, give it to some Chelsea fans. Let's see how, see how, see how it goes. Let's get the sales up. We don't care who gets them. Tony, this has been a delight. Thank you so much for joining us on Full of Focus. Thanks, Matt. Take care of yourself. Speak soon. And to everybody else, we're back next week with the roundup of what happened at the cottage with against Wolves. J Mac should be in the chair for that one. So until next time, take care of yourselves and come on. Fulham.